John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Boy, it kind of caught us, just really caught up on us very quickly and almost didn't think about it. But, of course, we forgot that the uh, Pac-12 season is going to start this weekend. And we are pleased to have our first version of Washington Wednesday. Uh, we'll be talking to Yogi Roth from the uh, Pac-12 Network, and that's going to be at 11 o'clock. And, and, of course, I think we're really going to be having fun with that because, again, it's like it's great to have Pac-12 football out there. And so that's going to be good. And so, actually, uh, Yogi is going to be joining us at 1030 with our first version of Washington uh, Wednesdays. And, of course, lots of things going on in the National Football League. Let's get into it with the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. Um, let me just leave it that we're it's not ready to be disclosed yet to, to tell you what's going on, but um, it's it's not looking good for the for the near future. And and, and uh, he's been doing everything he can, and he's frustrated and all of that. Um, so in the next couple of days, we're, we're, we'll get a little more clarity on it. Sorry, I don't have it for you right now. Well, we do have more clarity on the injury with uh, Philip Dorsett. This has kept him out the entire season. Turns out he has bone spurs. And with the bone spurs, they removed the bone, bone spurs yesterday, and so it looks like he's going to be out for the season. In the meantime, Seattle made some roster moves. Luke Wilson released. Of course, we'll find out his contract technically terminated because it was before uh, the uh, you know, trade deadline and that, so he has a chance to maybe come back and sign on the practice squad. Uh, Michael Kendricks also cut off the practice squad. Uh, Cody Parkinson activated, and so uh, you know he's on the roster right now. And so with uh, Dorsett, you figure it just didn't work out unfortunately because of the injuries and so uh, that's that's not good and we'll see if i'm, I'm gonna be kind of curious about this is that okay we we just saw we're actually seeing a bunch of players getting released uh, at certain times like that but you know do you th- i wonder if there's going to be any interest in san francisco <clears throat> because you know they tried to trade <clears throat> and do the can with uh, dante pettis uh, and, and and try to see what they could do but in the end dante uh was released and so I'm just wondering, is second-round pick, guy could maybe help on returns. Would Seattle be interested in claiming him? His salary is at the minimum. <clears throat> could be a possibility. One other piece of news, Phil Yates from ESPN is reporting this, that uh, you know, Carlos Dunlap did restructure his contract because <clears throat> they had over $2 million that they had to kind of make up with the difference between the B.J. Finney contract and uh, Carlos and so he restructured and saved about $2.5 million of cap room because the Seahawks technically were going to be over the cap. But I think that does show that he wants to be a Seahawk. Uh, he's under contract for next year. His cap number, I think, next year is going to be over $11 million. See how it works out. But I think that you can see Dunlap wanted to trade. He got out of Cincinnati. And to make this all work, you know, he was able to work with the Seahawks and get the uh, cap relief to be able to do it, he's going to make $2 million the rest of this season, and as opposed to the 4.6 and change he was scheduled to make there. Now we're going to find out with four tight ends, now that Parkinson's going to be on the uh, active roster, is that uh, are they going to go ahead and uh, play him a little bit? We'll see, <clears throat> because you know they're pretty loaded at the tight end position. Number two. It's a, there's a lot of what are you hearing and a lot of uh, not much, because I think teams are really, really concerned about adding... Uh, salary. I, I mean, you add, first of all, you add in the fact that it's going to take six days to get a guy in the building, so you really don't have him for this week. Now you're talking about having to carry over salary cap room to next year because the cap's going to go down. Every team's concerned about that. So I think when in the past you might have seen 
uh, a team quote unquote go for it by adding a contract um, or even a rental player for two months. Uh, teams are more hesitant to do that this year because of the coming uh, cap reduction in 2021. Yeah, so the trade deadline pretty quiet. I mean, just a oh four trades that or three four trades that ended up happening and nothing real big. And so that kind of concludes everything. You know, Kiko Alonso goes to San Francisco. Quam Alexander goes to San Francisco. Isaiah Ford, wide receiver, goes from Miami to New England. Then you have uh, you know trade that went uh, Kansas City. DeAndre Washington going from uh, Kansas going uh, from Kansas City over to Miami. So those are the only three deals done. 73 trades made this year. That's less than the 105 made last year. So clearly the impact of uh, COVIDs and everything else has done that in the pandemic. Uh, at the moment, uh, you're also going to start the waiver period where, of course, you can claim guys on waivers. That's what I'm kind of wondering. You know, would Seahawks be interested in putting a claim in on Dante Pettis? You know, it certainly worked out well when they got the claim and were able to go ahead and get DJ Reed. But again, you know, now that they know the Phillips Dorsett's not going to be there, you know, are they interested in adding receivers? Certainly, they could bring John Ursula off the practice squad and put him up. But, uh, you know, that's the way things are going to go. In the meantime, <clears throat> Vic Beasley who he and Jadevian Clowney on the Tennessee Titans went seven games with no sacks, and the team only has seven sacks. He was let go. And I'm wondering, are they going to have interest here in Seattle? Because, again, he's already going to be paid because his contract is guaranteed. And so putting a waiver claim on him <clears throat> would not be advisable. But if he clears by today, you know, would they be interested in maybe adding him as one of the pass rushers? I know it didn't work out. They're cleaning house a little bit in Tennessee. They let Jonathan Joseph go, cornerback. Uh, they got Bo Brinkley go, a long snapper, and basically said it was just time with Beasley. It was a deal that $9.5 million that simply did not work out. Number three. Can you talk about the decision to part ways with Vic and, and maybe why in your mind did that not work out here? Yeah, Jim. I, I mean, I just think that, you know, um, not every decision that, that we make um, uh, works out. Um, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of time working with him, trying to get him going. Um, and at, at the end of the day, uh, we thought it was it was best to just for us to go a different direction um, and, and release him uh, from the football team. Yeah, it was a relationship that even though he signed a one-year $9.5 million deal, that just simply didn't work out. I mean, what you can see is that he came 10 days late to training camp. According to John Robinson, the general manager you just heard, it was some medical thing that uh, he had. And then, of course... Uh, he came in and just was really never won a starting job. And so the team ends up signing Jadevian Clowney. Uh, but again, the sacks aren't there. I mean, you talk about Seattle and the lack of pressure. You know, they've got 12 sacks. Tennessee has seven. Seven. Think about that on a 3-4 defense. So Tennessee releasing Vic Beasley. You know, again, waiver claim, I think, would not work. I don't know if another team is going to be willing to do it to have the cap room to pick up his remaining salary. But uh, in the end, Vic Beasley on the street. Number four. 0-1 oh, pitch here from Kikuchi. And here it comes. Swung on and hit up the middle. Shed long backhand. Flips to J.P. Crawford. Throws. And that's a double play. Are you kidding? That was gorgeous. Shed long going towards left field. Flipped it to J.P. Coming across the bag. He got up in the air. Threw a one-hopper to Evan White. Dug it out for the double play. Inning over. Wow. That was special. Yeah, and the special thing is that uh, the the Mariners now get two players with gold gloves showing that this redo is actually doing doing pretty well. I think everybody knew that Evan White 
was a great fielder. And so he comes in and he gets the gold glove. <clears throat> He's the first rookie first baseman to win it uh, in the award and the creation of this award since 1957. And he's also the 11th rookie to ever win a gold glove. And, of course, J.P. Crawford was the second mariner to go in. He's a shortstop. And, of course, he gets the gold glove. He and Omar Vizquel are the only two uh, Mariners right now with gold gloves. So yesterday was the 12th time in Mariner history in which multiple players were named gold gloves. That's the first time since 2010. And, of course, you got to respect a 24, 25 years old, White Crawford, uh, became the second and third youngest Mariners to ever win that award. Good achievement. And, of course, next week we'll find out Kevin Lewis is going to be able to make it as the Rookie of the Year. I think you can see Mariners getting better as far as fielding and getting better as far as some of their star players. Number five. Third down and five. Garoppolo takes the snap. Blitz is coming. Garoppolo gets hit. Spins out of trouble, and now he goes down. Second effort by Bobby Wagner. His second sack of the day. Also getting there was DJ Reed. The Seahawks have been bringing the house on Garoppolo, who just can't get out of trouble, and he goes down again to Bobby Wagner. Speaking of awards, Bobby Wagner gets the uh, NFC Defensive Player of the Week award. Was well earned because he had 11 tackles, four quarterback hits, three tackles behind the line of scrimmage, and then two sacks. Probably the best game I think we've seen him ever play. And I know that argument about, gee, is he worth the $18 million? He answered it. I mean, he's been answering it all season. But again, what a great performance by Bobby Wagner. <clears throat> and we can see more coming because now he goes to Buffalo and he's going to have Jamal Adams with him. So that gives two guys who can really rush the quarterback uh, from linebacker and safety. But Bobby Wagner, I mean, he's had a six-sack season in his, in his career. He really is a good sacker because he knows when to make that A-gap move and be able to go through there. So good deal for Bobby Wagner getting NFC Defensive Player of the Week. Hey, you can listen to the show on the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go into further review and see what the expectations are for the return of Jamal Adams. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Well, under further review right now, we take a look at uh, what's going on with the return of Jamal Adams. And, of course, that's going to be huge for this team because you can see, uh, and particularly, you know, you look at the trades and all that stuff, and, you know, it's been hard to get the impact in some of the trades. Certainly, Unique and Dockway going over to Baltimore, that's going to help them, even though they did lose to Pittsburgh. And, you know, Seattle getting Carlos Dunlap and Jamal Adams. And, you know, I think Adams... You know, you can see with the three times he's been to the Pro Bowl, his ability to blitz, make big hits. Coverage might not be the best, but that's okay. He just he's a playmaker, and he's one of the best playmaking safeties in football. Most people think he is the best safety in football, and you know, really, is at the beginning of what could be a Hall of Fame career. So he comes back, and that's going to help this team out immensely. And so, uh, you know, you can see the missing parts. Although Ryan Neal did a real good job filling into him. This gives this team the ability to come in, plus also playing Buffalo in his first game back as a team he plays two times a week or two times a year when he was in with the New York Jets. So I I look at that very positively, too. But let's see what Jake Heaps expects when uh, Jamal Adams returns. Expectations. There's that word. What What should they be for Jamal Adams when he returns this week? Very simply put, I think Pete Carroll sum, sum it up, summed it up well here in cut number six as he was saying Jamal Adams is going to be full go this week. 
Yeah, he's going he's gonna to go full full practice this week and, and get back into action. Um, he was going to try that last week, and it just didn't work out right. You know, he got he got ill. He, he should be ready to go. He's got. We won't know till Thursday about Friday. You know, we'll just as we do it. Wednesday he goes. We'll see what happens on Thursday. Thursday he goes. We'll see what happens on Friday, and then we'll just build up for the week. He needs the work just to get out there and get on the field. Uh, he studied like crazy. He was in all of the walkthroughs that he could be in during the week this past week getting in, in an attempt to get ready. And uh, so we'll be real excited to have him back. He is so he is so pumped up to come back. He's just dying to get out there with the fellas. So I'm uh, really looking forward to it. And with Jamal Adams being pumped up and ready to go and being anxious to get out there, expect to see Jamal Adams play like Jamal Adams. I don't think this is a situation where you're going to see him have any restriction in, in his ability to play the game. Uh, they were very cautious with him throughout the entire process, and I think that's why you've seen him return later than what you were anticipating seeing him return uh, on a particular date after the bye week. That's what everybody thought. But Jamal Adams, to me, is a guy that they will not baby through the process. They will not put him necessarily on a pitch count on game day. They will just be making sure that they do everything they can to keep him healthy during the week of practice so that he can go out there and be himself. And, of course, that's the one thing. I mean, he puts everything into the game plays at the highest level possible he's an energizer for the defense and a playmaker and you know you go back and you see the game that Bobby Wagner had on Sunday against San Francisco they uh, you know he ended up getting so many so many big plays that that uh, worked out so well uh, but now you have Jamal Adams in there and of course I mean what uh, the the two sacks by uh, you know Wagner and of course Adams has two sacks uh, this year I still remember the first game where he came in and I think what he had seven pressures 11 rushes at the quarterback uh, and then a sack I mean that's how good he is but he can also just make big play after big play big tackle after big tackle and that's going to help when you go against a good young quarterback like Josh Allen so that I think is going to help make the defense better then of course you get the debut of Carlos Dunlap maybe Damon Snacks Harrison you know that's encouraging so a lot of good things going on right now and so we'll we'll see how it goes on the defensive side of the ball but I, I expect that you know Adams particularly having been out now for about a month you know, trying to get that groin injury. And, of course, last week he had whatever illness it was that kind of slowed him down. He'll be energized, excited, you know, get the chance to play in Buffalo. I'm really looking forward to that. And so Curtis Rogers is like when you start to look at, you know, this defense getting healthy, uh, maybe things can really go well. Now, again, they probably won't have Ugo Amadi. That's probably out of the question. They should have Benson Mayoa. They should have Rasheen Green on the defensive line. And then, of course, uh, we'll see about you know adding uh, Dunlap. He should be there. Same thing with uh, Damon Snacks Harrison. But you get Adams back, and then, of course, you know you got the big surprise in D.J. Reed in what he's able to do at the cornerback position. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of contributors making their way back to the Seahawks roster over the next couple couple of weeks and and John I look at what the Seahawks are getting in terms of talent over the next uh, week or two you know Rasheem Green Jamal Adams Snacks Harrison Carlos Dunlap I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the Seahawks move up from that league worst defense that they've been through the season's first half to I I would imagine somewhere near a league average I think that's that's a fair 
uh, a fair assumption out of this defense, considering that the talent that is coming down the pipeline for them. And if you pair this league-best offense with a league-average defense, I think you can safely put the Seahawks among that elite, elite contender group with Kansas City and Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, There really isn't another team in the NFC right now that I look at and say they're definitively better than the Seahawks. So... Right now, I think Seattle is not at the level of Kansas City and Pittsburgh, but they are are nipping on their heels. And in the NFC, there is a lot less competition than there is in the AFC, which makes Seattle's road to the Super Bowl much easier. And I think if you get an average defense paired with this offense, watch out because all of a sudden we're talking one of the two or three best teams in the NFL. Yeah, no doubt about it. And so I think that's going to be you know kind of fun to. You know, just be able to see because again, it's been. I mean, <clears throat> you know how when we were taking phone calls that everybody was has always been upset with the defense and want changes and coaching staffs and different things like that. And sometimes just in a year like this, it just takes time, and then you got to make sure that you get the chance to get these guys healthy all together. And you saw the progress made in the first three quarters of the 49er game. <clears throat> now we'll see with everybody coming together <clears throat> if there's going to be even more progress. Yeah, and it's going to be, I think it's going to be quick. I don't know if it's going to be immediate like we're kind of expecting because these guys obviously have to get into game shape. They've got to get, uh, you know, work back into the rotation. You're not going to see Snacks Harrison play 100% of the snaps. You're probably not going to see Jamal Adams play 100% of the snaps, even though he would love to do that. I think the Seahawks are are looking at him and, and saying, you know, we're, we're going to ease you back into things. We don't want to go full bore right out of the gate here. Uh, Carlos Dunlap, another guy who's probably not going to play uh, 100% of the snaps in his first go of it. But to just have them out there, to have that presence on your defense in multiple spots, not just, you know, in your secondary with Jamal Adams, but to have another pass rushing threat. And, you know, Rasheem Green, too, on the opposite side of Carlos Dunlap. Uh, just to have them out there for a fraction of the plays is going to be a big lift to a lot of guys who've been doing you know much more heavy lifting than they're accustomed to. You know, guys like uh, well, I mean, Demontre Moore's out now, but guys like uh, Alton Robinson, guys who have not really had this kind of experience at the NFL level, Ryan Neal, uh, DJ Reed, like you mentioned, John. Uh, you know, to have somebody out there who can not just give them a spell, but to really just take so much of the workload off those guys, I think it's going to be a huge boost. Oh, yeah. And it comes at the right time, too, because kind of right in the middle of uh, the four games that are being played by the Seahawks against the NFC West, that's timing good because then it kind of, you just get ready now for the Rams and you get ready for the second game against the Arizona Cardinals with, if you can stay healthy, you know, that much more as far as weapons on defense to be able to stop things. So I think you have to look at that very positively too. But <clears throat> I think you can see that Adams has set himself up to be a longtime Seahawk. It's going to be expensive to re-sign him next year because, again, he was good enough to be able to you know, hold on to his contract this year, not asking for money, more money or anything else after you know asking for more money from the Jets. And I think that he realizes that this team likes him that much, and it's unfortunate that he had the groin injury, but still, this guy is really, really good. And you know, now we'll see how this goes down to stretch with <clears throat> Adams there, at least for the next nine games. Hey, by the way, you can tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Uh, Yogi Roth from the Pac-12 Network on our first version of Washington Wednesday. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. 
Washington Wednesdays. Brought to you by Star Rentals, preferred supplier to the West Best Contractors. All right, it's great to have our first uh, Washington Wednesday. And, of course, who better than to start it off here? Of course, it's been waiting for such a long time for uh, Pac-12 football to go. Is Yogi Roth from the Pac-12 Network. And, Yogi, it's really funny because we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the Pac-12. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of snuck up on it. It's like, okay, here it is. You almost kind of forgot that it's starting this weekend. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's, uh, it's almost like this mad scramble that we knew it was coming. Right, in terms of, you know, and I think a lot of that is due to the unknown, right? So many unknown quarterbacks to look around the conference. Of course, Washington being one of those mm-hmm. pro brands. Um, and, and then you really don't know what to expect. I think that's the thing for me as an analyst. I didn't get to go to anybody's spring practice, training camp. I haven't seen anything. So you're going off of last year's film, which we all know that you might as well take that and for the most part, throw it out the window because players have evolved, developed. There's so many changes. There's so many new coordinators even in this league. So I, I'm with you. I, I don't know what to expect. I'm trying to go into it as prepared as I can, but also you know, prepared for the unexpected. Well, I, I guess the big picture, uh, you know, because of the COVID crisis, and uh, how many how many Pac-12 uh, key players have opted out and are not playing this year? Well, I think the biggest one is Nate Sewell. He's top five draft pick, depending who needs a, a, an offensive lineman, a left tackle. He's, he's everything that you want there. He's, he's really special. Now, I remember Tyron Smith, when he came out at SC, I was on that staff then, and you know, what an incredible career he's had. But he was still raw, you know, compared to where Panay is. So he's the face. I also look at Jay Tefele, right? And here we are in the Pac-12 talking offensive and defensive linemen in terms of opt-outs for the NFL, not necessarily always the norm. So, so those are two big ones. And then I think the Oregon thing is what surprised a lot of people when you look at Brady Breeze, Rose Bowl MVP, Thomas Graham, uh, Javon Holland. You know, this is their secondary. You know, even at, at one time, Diamador Lenore, he opted out as well. So you're talking four starters in that back end not coming back. And Lenore, of course, opted back in. So, so those are the big names. But to me, I was almost surprised that some guys didn't opt out. You know, when we're talking about uh, Tyler Vons, who tested the draft waters for USC, Amon Ross St. Brown, a guy who will have the ability to opt out after this season. So I think it's it's a mixed bag for the most part, but overall I think the conference netted out okay regarding the guys that decided to opt out and enter the NFL. So how good is this Pac twelve? You know, it's a fun question because I think one of the one of the blessings in disguise of coronavirus in college football is a staggered start to every conference that we've seen. So what does that mean? That means that on Saturdays, you don't really miss anything because at one point it was the ACC and the Big 12. And then you had, you know, of course, the SEC jump on board. You got to watch all these games and the Big 10 came on two weeks ago. And I say that because when I've watched everybody other than Ohio State, Alabama and Clemson, nobody is living up to their reputation. And I think the Georgias, the Oklahomas, the Texas, even Oklahoma State, you could argue this year, Miami. And the reputation usually precedes how they play. And I think a lot of times in college football, when all teams and all conferences are playing and there's so much content, you just give those programs the benefit of the doubt. Well, now watching, and you, if you said to me in the Pac-12, Arizona State, Cal, Oregon, uh, SC, Utah, UW, those teams, if they had to play any of the teams I just referenced around the country, I wouldn't flinch in terms of, well, I don't know if Cal can hang 
with Georgia. No way. They can hang all day long, right? Same thing with UW if they played Oklahoma. That, to me, has been the biggest takeaway. And I think it's going to benefit the conference when they get into the CFP discussion because the Big 12 has eliminated themselves. And if the Pac-12 can provide an undefeated team that's 7-0, and I don't think they need the style points we once thought that a conference champion would need. I think they just got to run the table, be undefeated. And I think an undefeated 7-0 team would trump a one- or two-loss high-profile program from around the country and other conferences. Of course, a lot of these unknowns, as, as because as, as like I know, up front, I couldn't see any anything in the preseason in the NFL. But here at Washington, uh, you got Jimmy Lake making his coaching debut. Uh, how different is he going to be compared to Chris Peterson? Well, I think the fun part about Jimmy, I asked him this a couple weeks ago on the Pac-12 Networks. Um, he goes, you know, I've had a plan to be a head coach for a long time. It's not like he just burst onto the scene. He's been preparing to be a head coach. And that's a big reason why he didn't leave Washington when he was an assistant. You know, he had many opportunities to take other jobs around the country in the NFL. He just stayed to really, in my opinion, hone his craft on being a head coach from an all-time great. You know, Chris Peterson is going to be a Hall of Famer um, in all rights, in all forms in college football. And he should be. And he's one of the greatest, I think, cultivators of leadership and cultivators of assistant coaches in the game, at least in my generation of the game. So with that said, I think Jimmy's prepared. You know, he's got a great plan. I, I don't think he's going to deal with what a lot of young coaches deal with, which is young head coaches, which is I don't know how to give up control to my side of the ball. I think he's going to be okay with that because of Pete Kwiatkowski, if I call him the most selfless coach in all of college football based on his actions over the last couple of years. And he'll be able to really be a part of, you know, the CEO element of being a head coach. And also I think with the offense, with John Donovan in this new scheme. So he won't be Chris Peterson. He's not a Hall of Famer yet. But I think he's got a dramatically high ceiling. I think he's the perfect guy for the job. And the thing I'll be watching the most on Saturday and every game after that is what does he do in critical moments? You know, what is his personality like in terms of going forward on a fourth down? What does he do in the fringe red zone area on a third down? Does he tell his coordinator he's got two downs to make it? Those are the types of things, the trick plays. That, that thing that I think is a feel thing for a head coach, I can't wait to see how he makes those decisions. Yeah, what do you think happens at the quarterback position for Washington? I don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Really blunt. And I think I know at like some other schools, like at Utah, I feel like at least my hunch is it's going to be Jake Bentley. My hunch at Oregon is Tyler Shuck. We're talking about other quarterback competitions in this conference. But I don't know at Utah because I think all four quarterbacks bring something to the table. You know, I've been around three of them with the Elite 11, which is a high school camp I'm a part of. And when Jacob Sermon, Dylan Morris, and Ethan Garbers came through, you said without a doubt, these guys can go lead Washington and be starters. So one of them is going to get that. And if they aren't ready in terms of the trust factor, then I'd imagine they'd go with Kevin Thompson, who's obviously played a ton of football um, and has been and managed specific situations in the game. So I don't know, but I can't wait to watch because I'm a huge fan of the three guys that I've gotten to know. I don't know, Kevin, I've just heard rave reviews about him as a young man, uh, but I'm excited for it. And I don't think Washington fans should be nervous about it because they've recruited really well at that position. They just don't have any experience. So that's not the best thing when you play Cal and that defense week one or ASU in week two. But by the time they get to, uh, or excuse me, um, Oregon State in week two, but by the time they get to Oregon, this is going to be a totally different team. And and that is going to be a phenomenal game, regardless of record for Washington. What's going to be the biggest challenge in taking on Cal? Well, I, I think it's twofold. I think one is Cal, 
you know, it, it, I, I believe this. If we had media day in July, Cal would have been the sexy pick to win the Pac-12. But because we didn't, they and their brand kind of fell under the radar. But you look at the players they're returning, right? Noteworthy, of course, Chase Garbers. He's the winningest quarterback returning in the Pac-12. Right? He's the most experienced guy. He's played a lot. You look at big moments, whether it was UW last year, well, you know, two in the morning and the game-winning drive or the game against Stanford. I, I called that game where he kind of won it for him at the end there. He's been in moments. I, I think that he's going up against a really talented defense, but he won't be shook. You know, I don't think I don't anticipate him making a lot of mistakes and turning the ball over. So I think uh, on the flip side, Washington, they need to be the same on their offensive side. They have to c- control the football when they can. I imagine they're going to be downhill running scheme. They've talked about a pro-style system play-action pass. If they can run the football, you know, kind of do what Cal wants to do on offense and not turn it over, they'll, they'll, they'll have a chance to win the game. But they're going up against a defense that is real, you know, at every level. You know, Coin Dang, watch him, their middle linebacker, he's got a chance to be the best player in this conference on the defensive side of the ball. They got Cam Bynum, who opted back in at, at corner. Elijah Hicks moves to safety. I mean, they're kind of like Washington in that mold on defense. So this game, to me, comes down to execution and turnovers. And I think it's going to be one play here or there, one turnover that'll change the trajectory of this game. Cause I expect it being, I expect it to be a very close one. Yeah. Do you think it'd be high scoring or low scoring? No, I want, I want it to be high scoring. I really want to see Cal score points. I want to see Puka Nakua go over the top and I want to see Ty Jones run around, but I don't see it happening. I think this will be the one game that's like the reversal of college in the NFL in terms of teams not playing a lot of defense. I think in this game, especially with where Justin Wilcox and Jimmy Lake come from and the players they return in those areas. I, I think this is going to be, you know, one of those 28-24 type of games that, that probably comes down to a late drive in the fourth quarter. And, of course, I guess the one thing is this is a young Husky team, but what is like almost like about two dozen guys as seniors and juniors. And with that, uh, you know, getting to start like this against a good team like that, would that be tough on this team? Or how, how do you think Jimmy Lake will be able to prepare for it? No, they'll be ready. I mean, they were going to open against Michigan, right? Like, yeah. I think this is a good thing for them. You know, I, I think it's better than if they opened up against Oregon State, for instance. Even though Oregon State or Arizona, for instance, would, would grab their attention because the coaches would do everything. In fact, the Cals had their number, right? If you look at, of course, last year and the, the way that game shook out, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have their eyes immediately. So I think it, it's not the same as Michigan because of the national – trajectory and obviously the, the different conference the mission would be coming from but I, I think this is a good game for them to start and Jimmy Lake's gonna have ready to roll man I, I think out of all the week one games I really expect this one if we had to pick it this would have the least penalties like this should be a really clean football game uh, just based on the programs the consistency among them and the players that are returning Yogi Roth, it is an absolute pleasure to start Washington Wednesdays. It's great also to get college football here in the West Coast and have that happen. And, of course, you'll be on the Pac-12 network uh, all weekend. What, what, what key shows do we have this weekend? I'm fired up, man. Saturday night, we got a brand-new show. It is awesome. Um, when game ends, wherever you're watching the game, uh, ESPN, Cal, UW, for instance, click on over to us, and uh, we got you for an hour. It's going to be Ashley Adamson, myself, Evan Moore, Coach Aliotti, Nigel Burton. Uh, and we're bringing a lot of players. And it'll be a different show than we've ever done. Um, it'll be, it'll feel like Pac-12 After Dark, hopefully like you are on your couch, maybe watching some games or watching some highlights. And we hope and we'll compete to, to bring you the best analysis and insight in the country around the conference we love. So that's every Saturday. And then all week long, um, 
just just me on Pac12.com or on my social handles. I'm going to kick out analysis of every game and give you my four to six big thoughts. So that'll come out tomorrow on Pac12.com and of course. Uh, all of our social media as well. And, and I think you'll like that, being a football guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to take you inside my film room because I'm not going to call games this year, man. So i got to get my fix some way, and, and that's going to be you know, my relative newsletter where I can do that. Yogi Roth will be watching the Pac-12 Network all weekend. Of course, looking forward to that. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, man. Hey, and of course, uh, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we'll catch you up on all crazy stuff going on in the National Football League. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, there are concerns right now around the National Football League because of positive tests. Uh, The 49er facility shut down on the eve of the game against the Green Bay Packers because Kendrick Bourne ended up testing positive and uh, he was asymptomatic and all that stuff. And so it still looks as though the game is still going to be on for Thursday night. San Fran going against Green Bay. Green Bay had A.J. Dillon, a running back. You know, he tested positive and he's not going to be able to play in the game. In fact, they're going to be down possibly three running backs if Aaron Jones is not able to play. That's a little scary. Uh, you got a situation where Marlon Humphreys in Baltimore tested positive on Monday. And so seven other players were at least uh, put into quarantine on that. You know, they hope to be able to continue with Baltimore being able to play. So, I know yesterday there was about 12 guys that went on the COVID's list, a dozen. And, you know, that's pretty scary when you think about it. And so, again, uh, games still looking like they're going to be on, but there's a lot of question marks to see, you know, what's going to be in, what's going to be out. And that all has to be determined. But, uh, yeah, I know, Curtis, that's a, kind of a scary situation. It is. It definitely is. You, you hope that, you know, Kendrick Bourne is all right. And you hope all these players and, and people, because I know John Elway, he also tested positive uh, this week, so he's not being allowed in the Broncos facility at all uh you know you hope these people are all right but John it also brings up you know the big worry that you know we talked about a lot yesterday with Chris Mortensen's report that uh the NFL is looking at potentially adding two teams to the playoff picture this year uh just to make up for any potential lost games after the all the bye weeks are done uh San Francisco they do they have they had their bye yet or I think it's uh, coming San Francisco up. has not had their bye. Okay, so there's still some possibility, some wiggle room with them uh but it, there's just t- less time here for the NFL to really work with if if teams have to cancel games here. Yeah, of course Green Bay and Baltimore uh, have already had their bye weeks, and Denver's had their bye weeks too. So it's like, uh, yeah, that, that any movement of any of those games would cause you know major problems, create a week eighteen, and you know get the possibility out there that you know you might have to uh, you know move things back and go to that sixteen game playoff. So that's that's a little scary. It is, and uh, you know hopefully uh, the Seahawks uh, they're obviously doing you know very strict testing. Obviously having played the Forty ers just a couple of days ago, who knows if there was any transmission there hope where you know fingers crossed yeah. that there wasn't anything uh going on on sunday and the nfl has said time and time again that there's no evidence of transmission uh, during a game between players so 
who knows if if that will continue. But, John, also speaking of the Seahawks, uh, Field Yates with that report earlier this morning uh, about Carlos Dunlap reworking his contract. Can you take us through the details and how it works out for Seattle's salary cap now that they've got Dunlap? In, yeah, and in- I, I counted up. It was like a, maybe about a $2.4 million difference between, you know, the cap difference between uh, the B.J. Finney contract and Dunlap's contract. And so, you know, they had you know $1.3 million of room, so they needed some room. Okay, and so that's why... And I'm thankful that this didn't happen, that they might have traded Jacob Hollister because they had so many tight ends and he's making three point two million a year. You know, they would save, you know, uh, almost less than half of the three point two, you know, probably about one point four million dollars by doing that. But uh, it was a good thing they were able to keep him sad that Luke Wilson was let go. But hopefully he'll resign to the practice squad. So the way this thing is going to work is that he basically took about three and a half, two and a half. Two and a half million dollars and put it into next year. And so uh, his cap number for next year is going to be over 11. You know, he freed up two and a half million dollars for this team. And that that should work out real well. And uh, it kind of shows that he does want to be here without any question, because, again, you know, he's such a good player. Uh, a good leader, all those different things. And so I think that tended to work out real well. So that's kind of the deal on that. And one of those things where it's like, okay, uh, you know, you had to do something. And of course, you know, uh, he was willing to do it. And again, I guess it shows you that this is kind of a destination stop that players want because one, you have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Two, you're with Pete Carroll. You're with, uh, you know, it's certainly uh, Russell Wilson, all those things. Those seem to be positive. But yeah, I think that turned out to work out really well. But, you know, he did work this contract out and did get himself all set up. And it's kind of almost like embedding on himself, saying, I will come to your team and play for you. Uh, and if I'm good enough and, and if I'm you know worthy of getting another contract with you guys, I get that $3 million next year. Uh, just make sure you keep it in a safe spot from for uh, for the time being. So, uh, you know, shout out to Carlos Dunlap. It sounds like he's motivated to come here and, and to contribute because uh, I, I would imagine if he's just here to collect a paycheck, he wouldn't have made it. He wouldn't have agreed to anything like this no. with the Seahawks. Uh, John, also with the Dunlap uh, contract being reworked, how much does that leave for Seattle to play on the waiver wire? Obviously, Vic Beasley is an intriguing option for the Seahawks. Dante. Pettis, uh, former 49ers wide receiver. Those two guys became available uh, today. Uh, how much does it leave Seattle to to be involved in the waiver wire? Well, I mean, uh, not a lot. I mean, pretty much it gets them back to where they were with the $1.3, $1.2 million that they had. And so <clears throat> you know, they can, you know, now you, you're pretty well at the halfway mark of the season. You know, I know Beasley's making 3.5 million. And so, you know, you can get him for much less because again, they've already played seven games. And so, you know, he'll be, you know, somewhere in the 1.7 range because they'd have to do something to get him. But of course, if you, if you can wait a day, then of course he's available because his contract is guaranteed. He's going to make the nine and a half million dollars. And so he could come to Seattle or whatever team he wants to and, you know, basically sign a minimum. A contract and so be you'll be available for you know less than half of the seven hundred and fifty dollars on the cap that it would cost because again he's already paid that's the one thing that <clears throat> is good for that situation so now the question is going to be are other teams going to be in the mix to be that have more cap room that would want to do something that's going to be out there but again you know <clears throat> I, and that's why i also wonder about pettis too because you know they had i mean again former second round pick u-dub all those different things didn't work out in san francisco but he is 
fast. He fits that model that you want for uh, speed. He's also, you know from college, one of the best return guys you could ever imagine. So I have to think that's got to be a consideration. It would be an intriguing one, that's for sure. And then, and finally, John, in the NFL, the Cowboys going to their potentially fourth or fifth quarterback option, uh, Garrett Gilbert or Cooper Rush mm. this week. Uh, they still have not made any sort of decision as to who would get the start uh, for Dallas going up against, I believe it's what, Pittsburgh next yeah, week? Yeah. Uh, it just feels like whoever they pick is just going to be served to the meat grinder. Yeah, it really does. I mean, I because mean, they're so bad right now, <clears throat> and you know, uh, they're not going to get Andy Dalton back because we still don't know how long it's going to take on the concussion, but he had a positive COVID test, so he's <clears throat> out indefinitely. And then uh, you can see that, uh, you know, whether it's going to be Rush or Gilbert or whatever, I mean, they're, they're just going through the motions right now. I thought it was kind of interesting that they did trade for uh, Eli Anku, who was a defensive tackle, because I guess, you know, after getting rid of three defensive linemen in a matter of a week, they were now short on the defensive line. And so Anku's just for a seventh-round pick. But, uh, you know, very curious right now how bad things are with this, uh, you know, with this football team, Dallas. And right now, even I mean in a division that's the worst in NFL history. I mean now you struggle to see are they going to be able to win any games down the stretch? Yeah, and then you've got you Oof. know the Giants who you wonder mm-hmm. the same exact thing about them too. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean it's just crazy to see how bad this whole thing has been. But hey, that's uh, you know they made and again <clears throat> I still went through the numbers. Six guys they had on defense and brought in there, including three defensive linemen, spent twenty four point four million dollars on the average. You know, and uh, end up they're all gone. Everybody's gone. It's like uh, and and they're bad on defense. They're they're got. Uh, they may get, I guess, maybe one guy back on the on the offensive line, but they're down four starters on the offensive line. I mean, this thing is just a mess. Absolutely brutal over there. Hey, and of course, uh, it's Wednesday, so we have Wednesdays with Wyman coming up next.